Welcome to Tech Connect, a podcast that will introduce you to Arizona's most innovative individuals and creative minds. Brought to you by the Arizona Technology Council and powered by Coplex. Our sponsor, Coplex, is an expert team of startup creators located in Phoenix, Arizona. Ranked top seven startup accelerator, Coplex helps non coding industry experts start successful tech companies and get them to venture ready in as little as nine months. Hello, AZ Tech community, and welcome to the Tech Connect podcast. In today's episode, we are joined by Jane Pointer, CEO of Worldview Enterprises, a Tucson-based company that is leading the way in the emerging stratospheric economy. The company is an active, full-service commercial launch provider and is working to open the possibilities of space travel to consumers across the world via high-altitude ballooning and their Stratolite flight platform. Prior to joining the leadership team at Worldview, Jane was the co-founder, president, and chairwoman of Paragon Space Development and is a well-known author, including the book, The Human Experiment, Two Years and 20 Minutes Inside Biosphere 2. Welcome, Jane. Between opening a new market in space tourism, launching a KFC sandwich into space, and facilitating test flights for the world's first stratolite balloon, Worldview has had an incredible few years. Can you talk about some of the highlights from your perspective? Well, so let's see. Let's go perhaps backwards in time. So, you know, we're really excited that this year uh, we were able to uh, close our most recent financing, uh, which was really exciting. So we now have uh, three top tier Silicon Valley uh, firms uh, backing Worldview. So that's awesome. Uh, Wonderful. Yeah, exactly. So, um yeah, so that's new money coming into Arizona. You know, we uh, also, just, just a plug for, for what we do here in Arizona, we actually spend most of our, our money right here in Arizona, which is, uh, which is great. We're really excited to be part of this community. You know, obviously, as you were saying, we uh, have stratospheric flight vehicles. And one of the incredibly exciting things that uh, our investors are excited about is this brand new vehicle that we're bringing to market called a Stratolite. And this is actually uncrewed. This doesn't have people in a capsule underneath it. This allows us, in fact, to carry sensors of all kinds up to the stratosphere, you know, about 15 miles above the surface of the planet, and to stay over a single uh, area of interest for our customers and do all kinds of things, uh, you know, whether it's remote sensing, whether it's uh, communications from that uh, location, or even understanding more about weather. And so we've actually gone from sort of squiggles on a whiteboard to having the vehicle, you know, the technology proven and customers flying uh, flights, uh, buying flights from us uh, in just a couple of short years. So that was really exciting. Um, incredibly proud of the work the team has done. Um, one of the fun things that we've done is that uh, we've broken some really exciting parafoil records in uh, the, the progress of, of developing this technology. So the way we bring down the payloads from, uh, from the stratosphere is we use, actually it's a steerable parachute. And so we steer this parachute down, but we can actually fly it way up in the, uh, up in the stratosphere. So we have to, our team has the record 
of flying a parabola over 100,000 feet, which is about 20 miles above the surface of the Earth. And because there's so little atmosphere up there, there's you know, very little atmosphere, uh, we're above you know, at least 95% of, of uh, the atmosphere at those altitudes. And in order to make up for the fact that there's so little atmosphere, you fly very fast. So we also have the speed record of, of a parafoil uh, flying at uh, over 290 miles an hour, which is pretty cool. Oh, that's really interesting. So you're saying that the people from the ground are controlling the equipment that's going up into the stratosphere. Yeah, so we launched the equipment, right? We launched the equipment up on uh, the balloon. So recently, for example, we flew uh, some cameras uh, that we're going to be using uh, potentially for maritime surveillance, for example. Uh, so we had some cameras on it, and uh, this was a, just a test flight. Uh, and so we were able to, um, the payload provider was able to control the cameras from here. Um, one can envision doing that autonomously in the future, but certainly uh, on this flight, they were controlling it from the ground. Yes. Very, very cool. Awesome. So I read in your bio that you were actually a member of the original crew that lived inside the sealed self-sustaining habitat of Biosphere 2, just outside of Tucson, and that you were a member of the design team, which is really, really cool, I thought. I visited Biosphere 2 and thought that that was a pretty cool note on your bio. So can you maybe share some of your experience and how it's translated to the work that you do at Worldview? Yeah, for sure. So... Uh, yeah, it was really exciting being part of Biosphere 2. So you can tell I've been in this community a long time uh, because we went in in 1991 to begin our two year and what turned out to be two years and 20 minutes inside Biosphere 2. Uh, and so as you can imagine, uh, doing something like Biosphere 2, it was just extraordinary. It was sort of something, it was my introduction to implementing huge ideas. And the huge idea here uh, was taking this planetary biosphere and shrinking it into something the size of Biosphere 2. This was the big question you were trying to answer. Can you take a planetary biosphere, shrink it into something the size and frankly as simple as Biosphere 2 compared to planet Earth and have it persist for a long period of time? And can it also, at that time, we were also asking the question, can it uh, include people as well? Uh, as you know, now University of Arizona runs it, and so they do not have people living inside it. They're, they're doing um, other kinds of experiments. Um, but at the mm -hmm. time, uh, we were using Biosphere 2 for two things. One, it was a prototype space base, uh, which really excited me. Uh, and the mm -hmm. other aspect of its design was to be a test tube for life a way for us to really understand more about planet Earth. And of course, that secondary aspect of Biosphere 2 is really what the University of Arizona is focused on. But it was an incredible thing to be involved in. You know, we had scientists from around the world help us design Biosphere 2. I was in charge of designing the, the farm, the agricultural system, uh, that unfortunately mm -hmm. you can't see there anymore. Of course, it's not really needed now that people don't mm -hmm. live in it. Uh, but uh, that was, uh, you know, an, an incredible thing too. I, I worked with the University of Arizona uh, on the design of the agricultural system, uh, the half acre system where we where we grew all our food. So, you know, the day we walked into Biosphere 2, 
You know, it was was an extraordinary day for us. Uh, we had uh, all eight of us. There were eight of us who went inside the project uh, to uh, for this very first uh, two year mission. So you know, the day we walked in, it was the first time that we had been in there alone. Up until that point, it had been under construction effectively. So so we walk in. And it was very bizarre because there was nobody else inside, you know, and I had been in there for the, you know, for the last couple of years with hundreds of other people inside and suddenly it was very quiet. And it was an incredible moment to know that we were the eight people that were now inside Biosphere 2 that were charged with caring for this new world that we had created. It was an extraordinary experience. Yeah, that's a really cool perspective. And I do think when I visited, I think that they have some pictures, maybe even some videos of the farm. So your legacy remains, absolutely. Uh, you know, when you think about having to grow all your own food, you know, it's not very common for most of us in America, at least in, in urban settings, to mm-hmm. grow in our own food. And we were very purist. We grew everything. No, we didn't bring anything in. You know, there was nothing in a box that we could cheat with. <laughs> so we had to literally go down to the farm and pick our own food. And we had our own chickens, goats, and pigs and, and uh, milk and made our pizza. You know, it took us four months to grow a pizza. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right? So it was, yeah. it was this really different way of thinking about living. And, and so, you know, one of the really sort of seminal experiences was that of being part of my biosphere in a very literal and visceral sense. You know, out here in Biosphere One, which is the planet that we all live in, you know, it's it's hard to imagine how big it is, right? And and when you go inside Biosphere Two, you can see all its edges, you know that everything you've got in there is all you have in there. And so when we were drinking our water, I knew I was drinking the same water over and over again. I knew that every time I breathed in, I was breathing in oxygen that the plants around me had created. So it was this very interconnected world that we lived in. Really, really interesting. And maybe a follow-up, how was acclimating back after you guys left? Yeah, it was fun, actually. So when I came out... um, you know, I mean, of course, one of the first things was I hadn't driven a car in, in two years. But right. beyond that, what was really interesting was that, you know, we for two years, I'd had nothing to keep track of, but, you know, a pair of pruning shears and a two-way radio. So I came out, mm-hmm. and, you know, now I've got car keys and credit cards and yeah. sunglasses, and I was losing everything all the time. Everything was new. You know, we're we're not, I think. We, we forget how abundant our world is. You know, when I was in, in, in the biosphere, it was in many ways a very simple existence. You know, I got up and I took care of the farm and then I did science in the afternoon. And I read I went to bed and I did it over again the next day. And when I, when, you know, when you come out, it was like, oh my goodness, going into a grocery store. And not only was there a bottle of tomato ketchup, there were 17 different brands of tomato ketchup. And then there was wine from around the world and there were these huge cabinets full of of pastries that I just wanted to throw myself in and roll around in. It was just, I mean, it was just this crazy world. And it sort of made me think about uh, what it, it must be like to be a child. I don't really remember that tremendous sense of wonder that we have as children, but I relived it for a short period of time coming out of Biosphere 2. 
Oh, and how beautiful is that? That's really, really cool. Um, Why do you think space tourism is important and how do you see it changing the way we think about travel and the current boundaries of our world? Yeah. So, um, you know, you you asked me one of the things that, uh, you know, Biosphere 2 feeds forward into what we're doing a worldview. And certainly that perspective of being part of our biosphere is one reason that I think space tourism is so important. So, you know, um, astronauts, our world from the outside. Uh, I saw our world from the inside in, in, in a certain way, right? So you know, when an astronaut, uh, very often if you will talk to an astronaut and their experience of seeing the Earth from space, it's very moving. Uh, you know, they go up and they see this extraordinary planet that we live on. And, it, and, it, and it's really moving. It, for many of them, it really changes their relationship to this planet. And, and the people that inhabit it. You know, this is all of history has, that uh, of human history has happened on this planet. And so I think that when people go up uh, in whatever vehicle they go up in, um, and we certainly hope it will be a worldview vehicle in the future sometime, that I think it will really change people's perspective of this planet. Not everybody, but for some people, it will have an incredible change uh, and, and, and they will have an extraordinary emotional response, I think, to seeing the planet from this point. Yeah, that's really interesting, kind of that you that they're so far away and being that far away and being able to have that perspective looking down makes them more connected. I think that that's that's really interesting. So I think it's um, an aspect of seeing the planet in space. You know, when we're down here on the surface, we look up at the sky and it's blue and we have no sense that we are hurtling through space, through the vacuum of space. We have no sense of that here on the planet. You know, the ground doesn't move. Sure, the sun goes across the sky. <laughs> it's not the only indication that we have, really, when we're standing on the earth, but that we're in space. And so when you are outside looking down and you see the curvature of the earth and you see the blackness of space, you know, it is that putting the planet in that context, uh, it must be tremendously moving. And and I certainly want that experience. Absolutely. That's wonderful. And kind of speaking of, um, Worldview has built a spaceport in Tucson. And can you kind of talk about how revolutionary that is and what the implications are for Arizona's future in this sector? Absolutely. So Cuba County uh, actually had the foresight of building Spaceport Tucson. Um, you know, been an, a fantastic partner. Uh, really enjoyed working with Pima County. Um, you know, there are states all around the uh, country uh, that has uh, that have put in uh, spaceports, uh, many of them as public-private partnerships, uh, as this one is, uh, and it's uh, really powerful for economic development. Uh, and in fact, if you look at a map of where these spaceports are across uh, the nation, um, there's an area uh, sort of across the southern U.S. that is actually called the Rocket Belt, and uh, Every one of the southernmost states is in the rocket belt. Arizona was the last uh, entrant to the rocket belt. We are now part of that. 
uh, with Spaceport Tucson. And what's really interesting about Spaceport Tucson, it is the very first one that is focused on stratospheric flight. Now, all the others have a focus on space flight. This is stratospheric flight. Uh, and uh, that makes it uh, a seminal uh, spaceport of the nation. Very interesting. So we have Worldview to thank for getting us in the rocket belt. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to say that there's actually a, a, a growing uh, space community here in Arizona. Uh, I'm sure you've got space, uh, you know, mm-hmm. many other uh, companies in Arizona that are involved in space. Uh, so we're really excited uh, to be part of this growing industry right here in Arizona. Wonderful. And we're so grateful to have this community. And um, I think that the Tech Council specifically sees it as a huge economic driver in the future. Yeah. And I'm proud members of the Tech Council. We're, we're really thankful that, uh, you know, the council you know, has this great great vision uh, for Arizona. And, uh, you know, certainly space is an incredibly exciting industry. It is growing very rapidly. You know, there are new entrants to the market uh, all the time. Uh, so it's a really vibrant market. All right. So being being a female in tech-related industry has its challenges. And, you know, some recent articles in the news remind us that gender biases still exist in the modern-day workplace, unfortunately. So um, were there many women in your field as, as you were rising the ranks? And, and how did you identify professional mentors? And how did they affect your career and some of the decisions you've made? Yeah. So when I look back to when I, you know, First was in the space industry after Biosphere 2. Um, it, it certainly was extremely male-dominated. I, was, I found myself very often the only woman in the room. Uh, and I was also in my, young, in my early 30s. So that, that was also uh, unusual at the time. Now it's not unusual. I mean, what's awesome is two things. One, there's you know a lot of young entrepreneurs coming into the space world, which is spectacular. They're driving really awesome innovations, uh, and there's a lot of young women coming into the, the space industry. So certainly could have more, um, but it's uh, it is by no means as it was when I uh, was first involved in the space community. So I'm really excited to see the change. Oh, that's really great, and. Did you did did mentorship affect you in your career as you were as you were growing? So I think I would say that I had uh, women that inspired me for sure. You know, astronaut Sally Ride, um, Kathy Sullivan. I mean, they're just incredibly inspirational women. You know, scientists like Jane Goodall. You know, they they uh, they were inspirational to me. Um, you know, when I was a, a very young woman. Uh, you know, one of the, the the people that inspired me was an explorer by the name of Claire Francis, who was the first woman to sail across the Atlantic. So, you know, so it was these women that did these really big things, these very unusual, um, being sort of almost putting their their thumb on history, their thumbprint on history. That were the women that really inspired me to think about the kind of things that we could do in such a different way. It's so easy to get limited in, in how we think about what we can do in our lives. And these women showed me that 
really the sky isn't the limit. Mm-hmm. In so many different ways. I love that. And I think that you are certainly following in their footsteps. And I think that they're looking down with a proud eye. <laughs> Thank you. So in your current position, um, do you work with a lot of males currently? Do you maybe have advice for other women who are leading majority male teams? Uh, so I do work with a lot of men. I, thankfully, I work with a lot of women as well. And, you know, honestly, the, uh, the, the, I think the thing that is most important is all kinds of diversity. And the diversity, you know, um, ideas. You've got to have people coming into the room, coming into your business with a diversity of ideas. Uh, that's what's incredibly important, I think. Um, and to be open and embracing and seeking diversity of ideas, because it's what drives innovation. It's what drives the future of companies. Uh, it, it's an extraordinarily powerful tool for a leader to use. I love that you brought that up because that's so true. If there's a, a, a room full of women um, who all think the same, that's not diversity. And I think that that's, that's really great that you put it that way, that it's really important to have different viewpoints in the room um, to really achieve true diversity that's beneficial. Yes, uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. So do you think there's anything about being a female that's maybe given you an advantage in your career in space? Well, I would certainly say that I was memorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. You know, I've always focused on being the best entrepreneur, not necessarily being the best female entrepreneur. Um, so, you know, I think that's really where, where I focused uh, most of my attention. Um, mm-hmm. haven't really focused a lot. Thankfully, I haven't had to focus a lot on, um, you know, on whether uh, being a woman has been advantageous or not. Uh, Mm -hmm. Perfect. So you've achieved a lot over your career and you have many years left to contribute to the industry. Can you talk about um, how you've reacted and maybe bounced back from some challenges you've encountered along the way? Yeah, you know, whenever you work with big ideas, you're going to be, you're going to encounter big challenges. It's just the very nature of the business. So it's about learning, 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 learning. Um, you know, you're going to push the boundaries on, on anything, anything you do. You know, what's, what's really exciting is to watch uh, our team as, they're, as they've developed the Stratolite vehicle. Uh, you know, it's, as, I, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's, it's a brand new vehicle that we're bringing to market. And, um, and so test flights are just that. They're test flights. And so things go wrong. Uh, you know, sometimes a, a balloon hasn't done exactly what we wanted it to do or you know, a piece of hardware has, has uh, failed uh, unexpectedly. And so the key there is to learn. Uh, you know, curiosity and uh, making sure that you're setting up your your tests in a way that you can learn the most from them has has been incredibly important uh, and has really driven the team forward. Um, you know, and I, I, I've said the word innovation a fair amount, I think, as I've spoken to you this afternoon, because I think that's what's so key to, to drive um, technology companies forward. And so learning from your mistakes is, uh, and from tests uh, is, is critical. You have to set up your tests to learn as much as you can from them. 
Wonderful. Um, in your opinion, how has Worldview succeeded in the goals you've set forth for the year? And what do you have in store for next year? Yeah, so so maybe I'll take a step back and talk about last year first um, to kind of put it in context. So 2017 was about demonstrating our Stratolite technology. Uh, and so I'm really excited to say that we did. Um, we did a five-day flight that was a, a fantastic demonstration of our ability to uh, fly the vehicle in the stratosphere and loiter instruments over an area of, of interest. So that was awesome. And so this year, it's about extending the duration. You know, we're aiming at a two-month duration, one to two months. Uh, and so that's what the team is really focused on this year. It's it's really getting this product uh, ready for market. And then next year in 2019, it's about growth, growth, growth. And what's really exciting for us as a business is that we have more customer interest than we are going to be able to handle. <laughs> so so it, it's really uh, an awesome situation for us to be in. Um, you know, we have uh, customers across the spectrum, you know, from obviously Department of, of Defense is very in, interested in what we're doing uh, for security purposes. We have a lot of enterprise uh, really excited in what we're doing. We have civil customers, uh, you know, from NOAA and NASA and onwards uh, really interested in what we're doing. So we're really uh, setting ourselves up this year to be able to take advantage of all of that, uh, or I should say as much of that customer excitement as we can, because as I said, I think there's uh, more customer interest than, uh, than we're going to be able to uh, handle. That is never a bad problem to have. Well, I would agree with that completely. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jane, for being with us on Tech Connect today. It was fascinating to learn about some of the things that Worldview is up to and learning a little bit more about your background and experience. And we just want to thank you for being a part of the council. You guys are an annual sponsor, such a huge support. And we are so proud of what you guys are doing um, down in Tucson. And, you know, if we can ever be helpful and otherwise, we wish you all the best in success and growth. Lauren, thank you. And I, I do want to uh, give a call out to you guys, too, for uh, really supporting us uh, over the last few years. It's been great to have you as partners. You know, Arizona is a great place for us to be. Uh, so we're really, really happy to, to be working with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Please share this episode with your friends and subscribe to Tech Connect on Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to podcasts to get alerted of future episodes. If you know someone that should be featured on Tech Connect or have a question, please visit aztechcouncil.org and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Hashtag Tech Connect AZ.